The content of CPR Unplugged is designed for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as mental health treatment or medical or mental health advice. Details such as names and locations may have been changed to protect individual privacy. Hello and welcome to CPR Unplugged. I am your host, Jess. Wherever you are joining us from today, I am glad you're here. Today we are joined by Olga. She is going to talk to us about her challenges with obsessive compulsive disorder. I know this can present differently for different people, so I'm excited to hear uh, what her experience has been and what has kind of helped her to get through it. So welcome, Olga. It's great to have you on the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So first, kind of describe to us what has your experience been like with OCD? So... I think my experience, um, I think I grew up, you know, when I, when I heard about obsessive compulsive disorder, I always thought, you know, in movies it's portrayed as like, you know, being very neat and organized and lots of like hand washing and counting, um, which are, you know, traits of OCD for sure. Um, but I wasn't really aware of like some of the other types of OCD until I kind of experienced them myself and started to go through therapy. We hear OCD said in a very casual way a lot of times in society, right? Like, oh God, I'm so OCD. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of people I don't think get quite what it means to actually have OCD. Um, What has your experience been like? What were your symptoms? Um, So I think, and, and looking back, Um, you know, when I went into therapy, you know, I, I was in my twenties and I had just kind of been hit in the face by all of these like very severe symptoms. Um, but going through therapy, I kind of started to look back at my life and notice some of those early on symptoms. Um, even as early, I think as age, like six or eight, I started having some, you know, intrusive thoughts, um, some like really irrational fears. I am, and I, and, and then compulsions. And I didn't know what was really driving those at the time. I just felt like I had to do it. Um, So for example, I would get this really irrational fear that my little brother, um, that he was going, you know, if he was outside or doing anything without like supervision, like I felt like I had to be around him, watching him, Um, because I had this irrational fear that he was going to like disappear or get kidnapped and I would never see him again. And I really didn't know why I felt that way. I just had this fear pop up one day and then I just had this overwhelming anxiety when he would go out of my sight and I wasn't able to follow him and watch him. And so I didn't know that those were really like you know, the intrusive thoughts, and then you have the anxiety, and then you have the compulsion to, like, calm the anxiety down, you know, temporarily. So that happened throughout my childhood, and then it kind of went away in my adolescence randomly, and I remember thinking um, when I was a kid, even as young as a kid, I remember thinking, this isn't normal, (laughs) you know? Like, I'm, I know I'm being a good sister, and I care, but you know, just him going outside and me feeling like I have to go outside, even though I don't want to, wasn't like a normal response. And that's a good distinction to make. Um, You know, the fear of a child going missing, 
right? Mm -hmm. That's based in reality. That does happen in real life. But it sounds mm -hmm. like for you, it was much higher intensity. And uh, like you said, there was that compulsive need to be near him. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't really even necessarily know where that came from. You know, I don't think he, you know, I don't think he'd ever been almost kidnapped or anything. And it, it kind of developed over time, I think, um, to where it feels really random. And then it feels like those thoughts are so intrusive and just bizarre that it scares you. It gives you that high, high, high level of anxiety. And then, you know, you have to find a way to bring that anxiety down. So you start having compulsions or, um, and they can be mental or physical, but so can you give me an example of, of each of those, like how a compulsion shows up mentally as a for, as opposed to how it would show up physically? So I think for a lot of people, you know, there's, there's the typical, like, I, I get that, you know, I get that intrusive thought that, you know, I'm, I'm, I have dirt on me or I have germs and, you know, I'm, I'm contaminated. So like that brings my anxiety to a high and therefore I need to go and physically like wash my hands like over and over until I feel clean or not contaminated. That's more of a physical one. I would say like the mental checking and compulsions, um, you know, you have the intrusive thought, your anxiety spikes, and then, you know, you mentally either like try to push it away or like start saying prayers compulsively or um even just like well I guess like checking on the internet is more like a physical compulsion too um but a lot of checking behaviors um reassurance seeking too is a little mm. bit like that um and I I think that at first mine was very mental checking and then it kind of started to evolve as it got worse so you noticed that there was this period of time it was not as present in your life. When did you notice it was kind of coming back or what was it that you, um, that prompted you to seek treatment? So I think in college, um, there was just like a series of stressful events some traumatic, weird, um, just a lot of stuff at one time. I was having some anxiety and, and panic attacks and those kind of just progressively got worse and, and so that was very you know lack of sleep just constantly worrying um, worrying about irrational things and then I remember kind of distinctly that I think I was just doing my homework one time and I had this just very intrusive thought of like what if I just lost my mind you know, like, I feel like I'm about to lose my mind. And that scared me. And so I, you know, got really anxious. I had another panic attack. And then my brain kind of went with it. It's like, oh, what's the worst thing that could happen if you lose your mind? You know, time mm -hmm. start, going down the rabbit hole, catastrophizing. But it's like, what's the worst thing you could do, basically. And I had this horrible image um, of me, like, hitting my roommate with like a frying pan which scared me because she was like in there cooking <clears throat> and so I remember I got up and like I went upstairs and like took a shower and I was sobbing because it scared me so bad mm. and the more like 
you know, it's like, what does this mean? Do I want to hurt her? Am I mad at her? Like what's going on? Um, and the anxiety just kind of like went worse and worse. I was like, what kind of a person am I? Am I evil? And then it just really blew up from there. Like the intrusions got worse. Um, I would have like horrible images of me just like losing my mind, like snapping and just like, I, I would be in the kitchen with, with a knife, like cooking. And I would just have a horrible vision of me, like, you know, stabbing my mom next to me or like you know choking my I'd be petting my my animal and like totally fine and then I would have an intrusive thought of me like hurting my animal which is really scary stuff yeah I didn't (laughs) I I really thought I was like I'm you know developmentally like I'm developing into a serial killer obviously like I need to be locked up I need to call the police on myself (laughs) I need to be in jail you know, and it felt like emotionally, it felt like I had done those things. Mm. Like it, it, that's how intense it was when you like envisioned those things happening. Yeah. Like the anxiety went up and then the fear, um, of myself and then just feeling very, um, guilty and ashamed and, um, horrified. Like, like I had, actually done it it was like this whole scenario played out in my head that I felt like I didn't have control over and I felt like every emotion associated with it so it was really scary I really didn't tell anybody about those like violent intrusive thoughts for a long time um I mostly would try and isolate if that makes sense or avoid um Mm. So like the worst they got, I, you know, I remember one night, um, I was having them and I was just so exhausted and I was like, it's going to make me feel better if I just like take all the knives out and like, I didn't know what to do with them. So I threw them over the fence, which didn't make any sense, (laughs) you know, but I felt like I had to just get them away because I felt like I I was scared of myself. I was scared of what I was going to do. And the weird thing is deep down, you know, it's irrational, you know, that's like not who you are. And that's something like that you would never, ever, ever do. But yet yet again, like here, these, you know, thoughts are, and I'm, you know, I'm treating them as facts, basically, is how it was feeling. Before you sought treatment, I'm just curious that that does, it sounds intense and it sounds scary. Was there anything that you found that helped? Before treatment? Yeah. Anything that you tried on your own or were you just like, no, that's it. I I need to go to someone right now and and figure this out. Well, I tried, you know, I would kind of try and talk to my mom and and just tell her that I was really anxious. I didn't really tell um, anybody what exactly I was feeling. I remember going to counseling um, at the university and just, you know, one of the university counselors and kind of telling her what was going on. Like I was having these like intrusive thoughts and fears and then I would have like a panic attack. And then, you know, I was just in this constant, you know, spiral of fear and, you know, it felt like I was in hell, (laughs) honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So I started doing some treatment with her. Um, I got put on an SSRI and that helped. So real quick, just for people who are not familiar, what is an SSR? It's a type of medication, right? Yeah, it's a it's an antidepressant. It's a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, I think. Yeah. Okay, so it was helping to re-regulate the neurons in your brain to keep you, like, what was the goal? Was it to, to reduce the, the thoughts you were having or, or just to help you with um, the anxiety you were feeling or both? I don't know if she really had a goal. I think she was just like, take this. Um, she didn't really explain it to me at all. Um, she didn't really know me at all. And so I said, okay. And so I started taking it and it did help anxiety that was associated like you know if I had those thoughts I was like you know not from zero to a hundred immediately like I was able to kind of rationalize and be like okay I can calm down and like those thoughts aren't facts and um that kind of work uh, which was good it gave me several years of um mild symptoms and um and then I, I had a really big like super massive relapse, <laughs> you know, in my, I wouldn't say mid twenties where it was worse than before. And this time I had severe depression, um, because it was so bad. So, um, you know, that led me to go seek help again. And this time, you know, I was really adamant about, you know, going to my appointments and doing the work and, um, and yeah, and uh, I think one of the big things, one of the big factors was like, I had a huge relapse because I got taken off the antidepressant really quickly mm. after I had been on it for about three years. So like, you know, I, I, I talked to my nurse practitioner and I said, Hey, you know, I kind of think I want to wean off this and see how I do. And so she said, okay, just stop taking it. You're fine. And so I did. And then I would say like maybe a month later, it was like um, back, but 10 times worse. Like very scary. Um, yeah, I just, and, and then I was extremely depressed, which had never really happened before. I'd always been anxious, but never depressed until that. And And just having those intrusive thoughts of like that nature when I've never been violent whatsoever mm -hmm. just felt like a like it ripped my soul apart mm. I guess if that makes sense <laughs> I don't know. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's a powerful way to describe it so where are you at now is this something that you still well let me ask you this it, obsessive compulsive disorder is that a chronic condition is that something that because you mentioned that you relapse so is it something that kind of stays with you and it's just more or less manageable for what I understand, you know, I think there's like, you know, obviously a biological component to it. Um, you know, I think that there's been research, you know, the brain is, is different. It does come back. I think it's kind of um, maybe like the same thing as like if you're diagnosed with, you know, bipolar, schizophrenia, like you always kind of still manage it um, over time and it can kind of ebb and flow. But mm -hmm. I think it's one of those things that, you know, I think at this time, I'm not going to grow out of it. 
I think it, I'm always going to have to manage it. How does it feel to say that out loud, that this is something that you're going to carry with you? I think my knee-jerk reaction is like, that sucks really bad, <laughs> you know, because I wouldn't wish this on like my worst enemy or anybody ever. But at the same time, I think what I've learned from it is I'm so much more empathetic and compassionate from going through this than if I had never really known what anxiety was or known what depression was. Like, I remember sitting there in my bed thinking like, oh my God, like this is what people go through when they have depression and anxiety. Like this is the feeling because and like millions of people statistically have this and feel this way. Like, I think that's just so sad. Like that's so wrong. And it just, it really changed a part of me that I think had just not developed yet. Like I, I really kind of blossomed after that, that big, I guess, breakdown. Um, I think emotionally I, I did blossom and and spiritually became more um, aware and grateful for the good days I did have. And, um, you know, thankful that I did, was able to reach out and get treatment. Um, And that I still had people that supported me, um, despite, you know, me being like, I'm scared I'm going to kill you. (laughs) So, I mean, I joke around with them now because I'm like, well, now it should be, you know, pretty flattering because that means I love you so much because I think that's what the OCD does is it, it takes the things you love so much and kind of turns it against you, especially with the violent OCD thoughts, you know, it's like the people I love the most or that I share my space with and and feel comfortable with, like, that's where the thoughts would go. It's like that person, I would see myself attacking that person. And it was just like earth shattering. Um, But now I've learned a lot how to deal with it. It still flares up every now and then where it, it just, you know, sucks. Um, But I think I've gotten better over time um, working on, like, you know, coping skills and knowing um, when I'm getting exhausted and self-care and all those like little warning signs that, that come and tell me to, hey, it's time to slow down because you're starting to get anxious. And um, so I think it's something I'm going to have to manage my whole life, but I'm getting better at it, which is good. That is good. It is manageable. That's awesome. Yeah, for the most part, it is. And I'm really lucky. Um, I still feel, you know, really lucky that for the most part, I'm able to function. Like, I still have my days or, you know, sometimes weeks or months that um, I'm still able to to do what I need to do for the most part. Have you had those conversations with the people closest to you that you've had these thoughts about them? Um, (laughs) mostly out of like horror. I'm like, everyone needs to move out because I'm crazy and I'm going to do something, you know, 
so, and they're like, what are you talking about? Like, you've never, you know, my mom's just like, oh, you know, Olga, stop. And, you know, she didn't, cause she knew me. She knows that like, that's not who I am at all. Like I would never do those things, but it was like, her, she was so sure that I'm fine that it caught me off guard. And I'm like, wow, I really just don't trust myself. Um, and so I've had very, very few conversations with, with people because I do still carry a lot of like guilt and a lot of shame associated with that. I think that's something a lot of people can relate to is not sharing when they have those types of intrusive thoughts, especially like you said, when it's, when it's a sexual related thought or a violent related thought, or, you know, Mm -hmm. those types of things that are kind of taboo in our culture already. Mm -hmm. Um, What were some of your concerns when you thought about telling someone? Um, I, I was concerned that they're going to think, because I felt like a freak. I remember thinking, I'm like, I'm a freak. Like I, you know, and it, and then I didn't want to tell them because I'm like, they're really going to think I'm insane. You know, one insane, two, I'm dangerous. Um, you know, three, they're not going to want anything to do with me. Um, they're not going to want their kids around me. They're not going to want, you know, to spend time with me. Um, and I think it's really impacted some of my like romantic relationships. Cause I'm like, how am I even going to tell that person like what I'm struggling with? Like, how scary is that? You know? Um, so there's a lot of fear still that I am trying to deal with and a lot of self-judgment that's there about having this. Mm-hmm. What have you learned about yourself through this whole journey? I think that I've learned that I have to learn how to be more self-compassionate because I'm not going to survive or have a a good life if I don't learn to just be more accepting of myself um, and, and, and work on the guilt and the shame and know that I'm human and know that everybody else has problems too. Um, but I, it's been very hard just accepting that part of myself, I think. Um, so I've learned that I have a a long way to go, but I don't think that self-awareness would have happened if, if I didn't have this, if that makes sense. I wouldn't maybe necessarily know that that self-love is something I have always needed to work on but it just wasn't really evident until I went through something like this, where it kind of forced me to, you know, have to love myself in order to live with, you know, I guess this kind of mental illness. What would your advice be for people who might be experiencing uh, similar things? I mean, go, go to a doctor, (laughs) don't just keep it to yourself. Go to a doctor, get a counselor who, uh, well, more importantly, get a counselor who has a lot of knowledge and can treat 
obsessive compulsive disorder because if they don't know really what's happening you know with the the intrusive thoughts the you know the compulsions that can take you know many different forms um they're not I don't think that they're going to know exactly what to do or exactly how to treat you. So finding a specialist, I think, is really important. And then just really trying to have some self-care. <laughs> really start taking care of your like mind, body, and soul because you know having OCD or really any other mental illness, it just wrecks you. And I think the more gentle we are with ourselves or learning to be gentle, like the better off you're going to be. Um, and that's really, that's really it. And that other people have those thoughts too. And um, actually the majority of people have violent thoughts. <laughs> so mm -hmm. they just don't have the sticky brains that I think people with OCD or anxiety have. So that doesn't get stuck. Very good point. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've asked that question in a counseling intake. Have you ever had any thoughts about killing someone else? And mm -hmm. people always have that same reaction where they pause and then they kind of nervous laugh and then they're like, mm -hmm. well, there was this time or, yeah. well, you know, the road rage. It yeah. shows up in a lot of ways. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But you're right. For, for OCD, it's, it's definitely a unique scenario and it's, it's mm -hmm. a different, different kind of beast. Yeah. And especially because it's not even really, it doesn't, it's not really associated with like anger or really being upset. It's just very like in your face, um, random, scary thought. Mm. And then, then you kind of freak out about it and like, what, why, why would I think that, you know, what, what's wrong with me? And then, then it goes, then you're like looking on the internet, WebMD, you know, oh gosh, searching, no. through all, <laughs> searching through all those forums, making yourself feel worse and, you know, crying in a ball in your room. And so it's, it's just, a, a, yeah, it's one of those things I think is a little bit misunderstood. Um, but also a lot of the, the thoughts that we have that are that intrusive are also very human. So I've learned. It makes me feel better. <laughs> All right. Well, we really appreciate you sharing your story with us, although I know sometimes talking about these kinds of things and, and sharing so personally can be really difficult. So I definitely honor that space. And thank you so much for being here with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Got questions or ideas for the podcast? Or perhaps you have your own story to share. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at crisisprepandrecovery.com or call 602-281-7795. You can also find us online at cprpodcast.podbean.com or wherever you prefer to find your podcast. CPR Unplugged was produced by Crisis Preparation and Recovery, Inc. The intro and outro music was created by Rob Wilson. The CPR podcast team includes Tamara Lamonte, Ben Edwards, Laura Kaufman, Rob Wilson, and Michael Magarinos. Special thanks to Jason Spisak for technical support.